Please find the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 18. We're at verse 8 of chapter 5. And that beatitude is illustrated by verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 18 of chapter 6. So I'll read those also. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And whenever you fast, verse 16... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you we see what the eye is trained to see. You and I could be standing looking at an object and you might see twice as much in that object that I would see because you would be trained to see some things that I would not be trained to see. How many times have you gone into a doctor's office and he's pulled out those x-rays and held them up against the light and all you see is black and white And that doctor can give you a 30-minute lecture on what he or or she sees in that x-ray. I mean, he can trace your disease all the way and give you a 30-minute lecture on it. Or we could go into a museum and stand looking at a beautiful painting, and I could see a beautiful painting, and somebody beside me could be talking about texture and light and, and construction and meaning because we see what the eye is trained to see. That is not just true in the physical realm, it's also true in the spiritual realm. Two people can leave church, one of them saying, I just saw the Lord this morning. I mean, the Lord was really present with us. And the other person could say, man, I thought that was never going to end. I'm not going to call any names, but... Some t- two people sitting in church, and one says, Amen, so be it, and the other says, So what? But the goal of the Christian life is this, They shall see God. For every Christian is being prepared 
for an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And the destiny of the Christian life is that we shall see God. And what Jesus is saying is this, that God is preparing to reveal Himself to a certain kind of people. He is preparing to give a vision of Himself, even in this life, to a limited number of people. And that's what that construction in the Greek means. It says, and for they shall see God. The word, the construction in the Greek is, they and they alone, these and these only shall see God, the pure in heart. I wish he'd have said, the pure in body. You know, it's so much easier to keep the outward life clean than it is to keep the inner, inward life clean. I mean, it's a lot easier to keep the surface holy than it is to keep the substance holy. And sometimes I think that we, what we think pleases God is that we keep the outside, you know, just perfect, just like the Pharisee. He was an impeccable keeper of the law. He had these, his body was always clean for he had these ritual washings that he went through because the way the Pharisee thought that he kept himself pure was that he would never have contact with the impure Gentile. But how are you going to walk on dirty streets with where the Gentiles have touched the dust of the streets? And so they had these elaborate rituals of washing beginning on ri at rising in the morning. And every time they would eat their meals, they went through this ritual. They'd use water. Now, water wasn't as, uh, you know, as uh, prevalent as it is now. So the minimum amount of water was one and a half eggshells. And they had this requirement by the law that they'd start with their fingers pointing up and they'd pour a little water and it'd drip off the wrist. Then they'd go with their fingers pointing down, starting with the wrist, and it'd drop off the end of their fingers. And they were perfectly clean all the time. I mean, they were model citizens. They did nothing that would infringe upon the law. They lived impeccable, unimpeachable lives on the outside. And Jesus pointed at them and said, The harlots will go into the kingdom before they. You know what Jesus meant? He meant that He was primarily concerned not with the outward appearance, but the inner substance of a man's heart. In other words, Jesus was saying that it's really not possible to ever be happy until your heart is pure. Now we know that. The handwriting was shaky and the stationery was loose leaf notebook lined and the ink was black and the tone was desperate and the note was dated February the 6th, 1974 and it was addressed to the U.S. government and it read, quote, I'm sending $10 for blankets I stole while in World War II. My mind could not rest. Sorry, I'm late. It was signed, an XGI. And then there was this PS. I want to be ready to see God. Now this GI is not the only one. As a matter of fact, the government has received literally tons of letters and money. $3,500,000 to be exact, since this, quote, conscience fund was started in 1811. One IRS agent sent a dollar bill and said, I took four ballpoint pens I never returned. 
I mean, we don't have to be told by some preacher that a person will never be happy until he's pure in heart. Now, what did Jesus mean by the word pure? The word means unmixed. It was used of corn after the chaff had been winnowed. It was used of an army after all the cowards and the weaklings had been expelled. An army pure of cowards and weaklings. It was used of wine and water that had nothing in it. Simply it meant what you see is what you get. You ever gone into a cafe and ordered some ketchup? They brought you this bottle of ketchup and it looked like the real thing that you know you had to shake out and so you kind of started shaking and it just kind of all poured out and you know what happened there. They put some water in it to kind of water it down. To be pure in heart means that there are are no secret ingredients, no hidden agendas, no um, secret commodities. It means that what you appear to be is what you are. It means you are what you say you are. It means that there are no mixed motives. In other words, Jesus was saying, I'm not just concerned about how you live out your Christian life. I'm also concerned about why you live the Christian life. Why did he use the word heart? Because the heart is the center of a man's life. The heart is the steering wheel of a man's actions. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the scripture talks about an evil heart of unbelief. You'd think that he would be saying an evil head of unbelief. No, because what a man is and what a man does is the result of what he is in here. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now you're asking, do you have any illustrations of that? Are there any examples? And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount illustrates the principles of the Beatitudes. And so he takes an illustration, he illustrates what he's talking about pure in heart in verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 18 of chapter 6. Now what's this. The first verse is really an introductory statement and he says, Beware in the practice of righteousness. If you have a King James, it's the word alms there, strangely enough. And it's an even a different word than the one found, the alms found in verses 4 and 6 and 18. The word righteousness there means the practical expression of your religion. Can you get that? Beware how you express your religious faith. Beware in the function of your religion how you function as a religious person. That's what he's saying. Because so often you can practice your religious faith to be seen of men. And then he gives three illustrations of the practice of one's religious faith. And he uses three things that he sees are the primary functions of one's religion. Almsgiving, that is acts of benevolence, doing things for others that are in need, prayer and fasting. Now watch this. Doesn't it seem strange to you that when Jesus talks about the primary functions of one's religious faith, He uses the word fasting? Do any of you practice that? Now He says, be careful in your almsgiving life, in your prayer life, and in your life of fasting, how you do that, because sometimes you can do that so that people can see you. And, you know, that's no good. 
And there are two conditions. Now watch carefully. There are two conditions that are essential if I'm going to practice my religion, practice my Christian faith as a pure in heart, as pure in heart. The first is this. Watch. In order to be pure at heart, I must be conscious of the presence of God. Three times he says it. In verse 4, in verse 6, and in verse 18. Your Father sees you in secret. Your Father sees you in secret. Your Father sees you in secret. So that if I'm going to, re- to not be impure, I'm going to have to understand that I live my life out in the presence of God. That's a touchstone of the Christian faith, as a matter of fact. And that is the difference between a carnal Christian and a spiritual one. A carnal Christian, like the Pharisee, is a person who is more conscious of man's presence than God's presence. You see what Jesus is doing? You see that, don't you? He's making us aware that we don't live our lives in isolation, that every person lives his Christian life in in the presence of some audience. Before a live audience, he lives out his Christian life. And the sobering fact about it is that he is confronting us with the identity of that audience, the significant audience. And he's making us confront before whom do you live out your Christian life, you see. Because there are some of us, many of us, most of us, live these little series of religious events out in the presence of some other human being and not God. And as we live out our lives, the question that haunts us is this. What will he think? What will she say? How can I gain his approval? How can I avoid her condemnation? And most of us live our lives out on the basis of what some other individual will think. Isn't that true? I run into people all the time that you can just see when you when a preacher walks in where they are, they, they just immediately put on their preacher, their their church face. And and the whole demeanor changes. It's 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 really obnoxious to me, to be honest with you. Somewhere the other day I was I was uh, checking out and this guy was just so nervous and he said, I've never waited on a preacher before. I said, well, I'm a human being, just like anybody else you wait on. And we put on these church faces, and we, and, and we know the verbiage, don't we? We know, we know the language, don't we? And, and when, when the religious folks are in our presence, we start talking the religious language. Isn't that right? And, and we put on this church face, and, 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 we, and we do that kind of stuff, because for most of us, our significant audience is some other human being. The pure in heart is a man who understands that he lives his life out in the presence of God. And so Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians, I am continually reminded of your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in the presence of God our Father. Now how did they work out their faith? And how did they labor their love? And how did they hold out in hope? Was it because they lived in the presence of other Thessalonian Christians? Yes, but not primarily that. Was it because they lived in the face of these pagans and they wanted to live a Christian witness? Yes, but not primarily that. 
they labored in love and worked in faith and were steadfast in hope because they understood they lived their lives out before God. That was the motivation, you see. Now when that happens, there are two results. The first is that your life will be sincere. Sincere. And he just keeps on saying it. That word we don't like to hear, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. And the word hypocrite there means play actor. And an actor is somebody who pretends to be somebody he's not. We've got a little saying over at our house that if we're watching some television show and it gets kind of sad, we kind of remind ourselves that this is not real. You know, well, they're just play acting. It's not, it's not true. A hypocrite is a person who pretends to be somebody he, he's not. And you don't get too far in this book until you discover how God loathes pretense. He hates it. Why do you think he slew Ananias and Sapphira that in that first church that was on the move? He slew them because of pretense. One word and that word alone. Because they were trying to pass off partial commitment as total commitment. He hates it. If you live your life out in the presence of God, you're con- it's, that's a life sincere. Secondly, it's a life lived in secret. Now one of the most humorous things in all of Scripture is verse 2. Look at it. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the streets. Now I want you to get this picture. This happened all the time. Here's a guy coming down the streets, got on a long robe, got one of those little beanies on his head. He's got on his religious face and he's in this pious pose. You've seen him, haven't you? Hands just right. And he comes down the street corner and there's this beggar down there. And this beggar reaches out these bony hands for some alms, gathers his rags around him. And, and, and the man steps toward, the pious man steps toward the beggar, reaches into his cloak, pulls out a trumpet, puts it to his mouth and blows on it. Now what are you going to do if you're just kind of nonchalanting through the marketplace one day, checking out the, the cauliflower and the carrots and something for lunch and... All of a sudden you hear somebody blast out on a trumpet. What are you going to do? You're going to turn around and see what happened, right? So when everybody's head snapped around, just at the right moment, this man gives alms. I heard about this preacher who went on a 40-day fast, told nobody. They could see he was losing weight, but he could stand it. At the end of 40 days, the messenger came out with a headline, Pastor ends 40-day fast. I'm reminded of J. Wallace Hamilton telling about going down to the street corner one day and he saw a Salvation Army there. You know, they had a band and this girl sings, singing a solo, a Christmas song. And he said, she must, said, I could tell she had a beautiful voice. But he said, the, the band drowned her out. Oh, are you listening? He said, I thought of all that we do for God that's drowned it out by the accompaniment. He said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand does. You know what he's saying? He said, don't even tell yourself what a great Christian you are. You know how that works? And I say to myself, looky, well, I know that I do more for God than Him. I mean, look at the years of service I've given God. Kind of like the prodigal's brother. Well, look, I stayed home and did all this hard work. And what do I get? You know how that goes? 
I mean, he said, don't even brag to yourself what you do for God. Now, that's narrowing it down. A lady came up to John Bunyan one day and said, that was a tremendous sermon, Brother Bunyan. He said, I know it. He said, the devil has already told me. Now, he's not saying don't give in a crowd. He's not saying don't pray publicly. What he's saying is that you are so conscious of God's presence that you can pray in public and not even think about the people there. And you're so conscious that you live your life out in the presence of God that you can give in a crowd and not even know if people see or not. Those, my friend, are the people who see God. They're conscious of the presence of God. Secondly, now this is not quite as long. I'll let you out in time. They're content with the praise of God. They're conscious of the presence of God. They're content with the praise of God. Well, you see, Christianity, are you listening? Christianity boils down to this. Whom do you wish to please? Christianity boils down to this. Whose approval do I crave? Well, you see, isn't it it logical that I'm going to do those things that please the one whose approval I crave? Doesn't that make sense? So that Christianity boils down to this. Religious acts boil down to this. Whose approval... Whom do you crave to please? Now Jesus said, You can do these things before men. And you can do them so that your significant audience is man. And you have your reward. Now notice carefully what that means. The word is the word we get the word receipt from that it means to pay in full. You get a receipt that says pay in full. He says, now you can do your you can give alms, you can do benevolent things uh, before men, and, and they're going to praise you for it. They're going to say you're the most generous person to ever lived. You might even get your name on a building, but that's all you're going to get. And he said, You may pray the greatest prayers so that people can see you and hear you pray, and they're going to say, Man, can that guy pray? I wish I could pray like that. And you're going to get their praise, but that's all you're going to get. And you can fast and eat nothing because you're so busy serving and loving God so that people can see you fast. He said, they're going to say to you, man, that guy has made a tremendous sacrifice to follow Christ and they're going to praise you. You're going to get that. That's all you're going to get. Paid in full. Can you hear that? Are you listening? That's all you're going to get. But Jesus said, if you do that in the conscious presence of God, content with His praise alone, He will, if you've got a King James, glance down, it says, He will reward you. It's a different word. If you've got a New American Standard like I at mine, it says, He will repay you. And that word in the Greek is a word that means investment. Investment. And the picture is that, that if you live your life out for the praise of God and, con- and in the conscious presence of God, and that's how you practice your Christian life, pure in heart, He's going to pay you 
compounded in payment. And it's, going, it's not an immediate payment. It's just going to go on and on and on, compounded throughout eternity, you see. He's going to repay you in the sense that you never get through getting paid. I love it. He's saying, He's going to pay you and you're just going to keep on getting paid and there's never going to be a time when He didn't repay. I know you've heard this old illustration, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you, I worked all week trying to find another one. I couldn't. This missionary and his wife coming back from years in South Africa. They were coming home on a boat, a ship, way back. James and Wanda no understand this. Way back then when they didn't have planes, they, they were coming back home on a boat for retirement. They, they were retiring after years and years and years in South Africa. On that same vessel was Teddy Roosevelt, President of the United States. He'd been to Africa on a wild game hunt. He loved to hunt wild game. And he was on the same boat with them. And when they docked in New York Harbor, there was this huge retinue of servants and people there to, to meet him and crowds gathering to get his autograph, curious, the curious. And they had this big banner up there over the, over the harbor, Welcome home, Mr. President. And this missionary turned to his wife, nobody there to welcome them, no bands, no banners, no crowd. And I guess he kind of felt like, well, I've just been a failure. He turned to his wife and he said, Honey, we've given all of our life out there in Africa. And nobody's here to welcome us home. And she put her hand over on his arm. And in that gentle way that wives have, she said, Honey, we're not home yet. There is a way that God pays us back that just keeps on getting compounded interest. Now, it may not be here. We ain't home yet. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Father, without any mixed motives, without any hidden agenda, we come to you. And we want to be where we can see the Lord. We give you our lives as best we can, all the hidden ingredients all the anger, all the disappointment. We do it because we want to see God. Now pray for this moment of invitation, Lord, that you'll have perfect, perfect freedom. Call us to do with us what you wish. Mold us because I pray in Jesus' name. Now, this is a good time this morning to give an invitation. At the end of a service is the right time because the message is meant.
to elicit response. That's why we have an invitation. A lady came to me one time. She said, why do you have invitations? Never seen one before, she said. Because we come, we, 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 we preach a sermon, and the sermon's not for entertainment, for decision. And the decision is this. For you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, to abandon yourself to Him, to trust Him and Him only, Him and Him alone, for your salvation. Would you come this morning? If you've never for the first time repented of your life of independence and rebellion, to trust Jesus and Jesus alone to take you to heaven, to give you eternal life, do it today. Or come this morning to publicly declare your faith or to join the church or to rededicate yourself to Christ. There are ways in which you could be closer to God and you're keeping those things in your heart that separate you. Give them to God. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come. On the first word, come.